All right, so normally I sleep right through storms. It's like white noise for me. I mean, it has to be really, really loud lightning to, you know, a big bang to get me to, uh, to wake up. But this one particular storm I'm going to tell you about, I couldn't sleep through, and I found myself before, the, uh, <laughs> before long, waist deep in water. So we were on a staff retreat every year. This was a church where I was an associate pastor in Wichita, Kansas, before coming here 23 years ago. So this is about 25 years ago we were on a retreat. We had gone out to Table Rock Lake in, I think it's in Arkansas, and we had rented a big uh, houseboat, and big beautiful houseboat. None of us were boaters. Uh, so we got the big orientation before we went out, the owner, of all the boats came and gave us the orientation and he told us four things. He told us number one, uh, be really careful with the prop. Be sure that as you get close to shore to raise the prop because if you, if you damage the prop, you'll have to pay for it. And we said, okay. And then he said, be really careful at night when you, you know, go into a cove, be careful that you tie the boat down really well. And he showed us, you know, kind of the angles of where the ropes are supposed to go out. Uh, there was a panel in there and he pointed to the panel. It had switches and buttons and lights. And he said, uh, don't touch anything on that panel. And then the fourth thing he said is, uh, if you have any problems, call us on this radio here. I can't remember if it was a phone or a radio, but call us on this radio here anytime. Uh, but, but trust me, I've seen it all. You, 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 you will not surprise me. I'll know, I'll know what to do, basically, he said. And so that night of the storm, it was about 3 or 4 in the morning. And the storm was raging, but a beep started to come from the untouchable panel. <laughs> and that was not white noise. I could not sleep through that. So I got up, several other staff, there was maybe six of us on the boat, got up and we were trying to figure out what to do because you can't touch the thing. But as we're trying to figure out what to do, we realized that we had not tied the boat down well for the storm. And primarily because we had just had a little bit too much fun later in the evening just kind of boating around and we had gotten there late and we had done it in the dark and we didn't really know what we were doing. So the boat had come loose and was basically the side was going up, you know, against the shore. And then somebody said, did we raise the prop? Did anybody remember to raise the prop? And we, nobody could remember whether we had raised the prop. Uh, most of us were running around, but a couple of the staff members um, just, well, one, he was sleeping in a loft, and there was this stair that came down, this little door that opened, and he opened the door at the beginning of all this. He looked down at all of us running around, and either he never had totally woken up, or he just thought they're going to take care of it, or he was just, uh, I don't know. He closed it, and he never came back out again. <laughs> uh, another staff member was off in a corner on a little couch thing with his, you know, sitting, but with his knees up to his chest, just holding on to his legs, kind of in a 
sitting up fetal position. And again, I don't know, uh, was he afraid? Uh, was he afraid that he would have to do what we eventually had to do, was get into the water, or he was just having fun watching us running around. Uh, the senior pastor and I were kind of running around um, giving orders, ridiculous orders, because we didn't know what we were doing. And uh, the youth pastor, who is now the senior pastor uh, of that church, was standing at the panel, moving switches and pressing buttons. And I looked at him and I said, Todd, we're not supposed to touch that. He's kind of, he was our tech guy on staff and he's just, he's doing it and, and he goes, he just, when I, when I told that to him, he just kind of looked at me and he goes, and he just kept doing it. <laughs> like, you're not the boss of me, I'm not gonna listen to you. And uh, so we eventually decided we gotta get out, we've got to retie the boat. And so there we are about three or four in the morning standing in waist deep water, getting the ropes, retying the boat. Uh, we had raised the prop, fortunately, so there was no damage to the prop. We eventually radioed in to the guy and said, we got this weird noise coming out of the panel. And he says, oh, well, hold up, hold up the mic. And so we held it up and he goes, I've never heard that before. <laughs> so Todd kept pressing buttons and eventually he got it uh, to shut up. So we're talking today about leading through storms. Uh, the storms that we're gonna be called to lead through come in all shapes and sizes. They can be storms that happen in your family uh, where you're called as an adult in the family to rise up and lead through that storm. Uh, sometimes you may not be an adult in the family, you may be younger in the family and you may be called to lead through the storm. Sometimes it's to lead your younger sibling. Sometimes it's even a greater responsibility uh, for you. Um, there are storms, if you're a supervisor or a manager uh, in an organization, there are gonna be storms, many storms that you're gonna have to lead through that are gonna challenge you uh, throughout the years. You're gonna have to navigate a group of people uh, through that. And even if you're not the designated leader, you're going to, at times, be called on to exert some leadership in the midst of a storm. And that's exactly what we see happen to the Apostle Paul in today's passage. The Apostle Paul is a prisoner and he's being transported to Rome to stand trial. And there is a huge storm, a hurricane of sorts, that is hitting this ship and he steps up and he leads through the storm. So I'm gonna read uh, a good portion of the, portion of the story uh, so it's going to be a longer reading than usual, but it's, it's captivating reading. So uh, you can follow along or you can uh, just sit back and listen uh, to this incredible story. It's an amazing story. Just to recap, we looked at this last week. The Apostle Paul uh, had been having some conversations with some people in the temple area in Jerusalem uh, about the resurrection of Jesus uh, a riot ensues, he gets arrested by the Romans, they don't like riots, they eventually send him to Caesarea, he spends two years there, uh, more than two years under Roman uh, governors, and uh, eventually he appeals to Rome. He wants his day in Rome because he's a Roman citizen. They wanna send him back to Jerusalem for trial, he knows he's not gonna survive that. And so he says, I, I appeal to Rome. So now he's being transported to Rome, and that's where we pick up the story beginning of chapter 27, verse one, where it says, when it was decided that we would sail for Italy, Paul and some prisoners were handed over to a centurion named Julius, who belonged to the Imperial Regiment. We boarded a ship, oh by the way, it's all being told in first person because Luke 
has joined the party here again. And so he's, he's part of this boat trip. We, and he's the author of Acts and the Gospel of Luke. So we boarded a ship from Adramitium, about to sail for ports along the coast of the province of Asia, Asia and we put out to sea. Aristarchus, a Macedonian from Thessalonica, was with us. So the Apostle Paul, since his imprisonment, has been given a lot of freedom. He hasn't been like a threat or anything like that. The Roman governors kind of liked him from their conversations with him. Scared him a little bit, but they were scared a little bit of him but, uh, and of, of his message, but they, they kind of liked him. And so he has a lot of freedom and he even is able to bring along some people uh, for this ride. So we pick up in verse 9 where it says, much time has been lost and sailing had already become dangerous because by now it was after the day of atonement. That marks the date. Um, so it is, it is monsoon time or whatever, you know, in the Mediterranean Sea. So Paul warned them, man, I can see that our voyage is going to be disastrous and bring great loss to ship and cargo and to our own lives also. But the centurion Instead of listening to what Paul said, followed the advice of the pilot and of the owner of the ship, which probably all of us would have done. Since the harbor was unsuitable to winter in, the majority decided that we should sail on, hoping to reach Phoenix and winter there. See, people have been wintering in Phoenix for a long, long time. <laughs> that fell dead last night. I don't know why. I came up with it right there. I'm sure a million people have. Uh, this was a harbor in Crete facing both southwest and northwest. When a gentle south wind began to blow, they saw their opportunity, so they weighed anchor and sailed along the shore of Crete. Before very long, a wind of hurricane force called the Northeaster swept down from the island. The ship was caught up by the storm and could not head into the wind. So we gave way to it and were driven along. As we passed to the lee of the small island called Cauda, we were hardly able to make the lifeboat secure, so the men hoisted it aboard. Then they passed ropes under the ship itself to hold it together. Because they were afraid they would run aground in the sandbars of Sirtis, they lowered the sea anchor and let the ship be driven along. We took such a violent battering from the storm that the next day they began to throw the cargo overboard. On the third day, they threw the ship's tackle overboard with their own hands. When neither sun nor stars appeared for many days and the storm continued raging, we finally gave up all hope of being saved. After they, they had gone a long time without food, Paul stood up before them and said, men, you should have taken my advice not to sail from Crete. Yeah, <laughs> it's kind of like I told you so. Then you would have spared yourselves this damage and loss, but now I urge you to keep your courage because not one of you will be lost. Only the ship will be destroyed. Last night, an angel of God to whom I belong and whom I serve stood beside me and said, do not be afraid, Paul. You must stand trial before Caesar and God has graciously given you the lives of all who sail with you. So keep up your courage, men, for I have faith in God that it will happen just as he told me. Nevertheless, we must run aground on some island. On the 14th night, we were still being driven across the Adriatic Sea when about midnight, the sailors sensed they were approaching land. They took soundings and found that the water was 120 feet deep. A short time later, they took soundings again and found it was 90 feet deep. Fearing that we would be dashed against the rocks, they dropped four anchors from the stern and prayed for daylight. 
In an attempt to escape from the ship, the sailors let the lifeboat down into the sea, pretending they were going to lower some anchors from the bow. Then Paul said to the centurion and the soldiers, unless these men stay with the ship, you cannot be saved. So the soldiers cut the ropes and held the, life, and held the lifeboat and let it drift away. Just before dawn, Paul urged them all to eat. For the last 14 days, he said, you have been in constant suspense and have gone without food. You haven't eaten anything. Now I urge you to take some food. You need to survive. Not one of you will lose a single hair from his head. After he said this, he took some bread and gave thanks to God in front of them all. Then he broke it and began to eat. They were all encouraged and ate some food themselves. Altogether, there were 276 on board. This is probably a ship that is about uh, a little bit bigger than, um, in, in length than the half of a football field, about 160 feet um, uh, boat that they would have had at this time for transporting grain and things like that. Verse 38, when they had eaten as much as they wanted, they lightened the ship by throwing the grain into the sea. When daylight came, they, they did not recognize the land, but they saw a bay with Sandy Beach where they decided to run the ship aground if they could. Cutting loose the anchors, they left them in the sea and at the same time untied the ropes that held the rudders. Then they hoisted the foresail to the wind and made for the beach, but the ship struck a sandbar and ran aground. The bow stuck fast and would not move and the stern was broken to pieces by the pounding of the surf. The soldiers planned to kill the prisoners to prevent any of them from swimming away and escaping. But the centurion wanted to spare Paul's life and kept them from carrying out their plan. He ordered those who could swim to jump overboard first and get to land. The rest were to get there on planks or on other pieces of the ship. In this way, everyone reached land safely. It's an incredible story with just detail of an eyewitness just explaining step by step what, uh, what happened there. So what are some truths that we get? I mean, there's, there's way more than, than five, but what are some things that we can learn, that we can hold on to, that can be, in a sense, anchors to our soul in the midst of the storms that we go through uh, in our lives? And the first one is this, is that a storm is the norm. Uh, that we shouldn't be surprised uh, by storms. Some, some storms, the reality is if we look over our lives, especially if we have enough distance from them, some of the storms we recognize are storms that we made. They were from our own making. They were from our own mistakes, from our own sin, from the ways that we were acting. We created some of our own storms, or at least we participated with others in creating the storm. But a lot of times, it doesn't matter how good of a parent you are, it doesn't matter how good of a leader you are, you are going to have storms that are not of your own making. Uh, they're going to be things that you're going to come up against. So whether it's of your own making or not of your own making, there are things that we can, we can do, but we need to recognize that a storm is the norm. As you read Paul's letters, uh, you just find time and time again where, I mean, the epistles of Paul in the New Testament, Romans, 1st, 2nd Corinthians, Ephesians, Philippians, all these books, these letters that are written to churches, uh, give you the details in many cases of the storms that Paul was going through uh, as he was leading these churches. The storms that they were going through, the storms that he was going through, uh, the storms that they were going through together because storms happen all the time. Here are some of the storms that Paul faced in his ministry. You've heard 
many of you have heard this passage before, but every time I read it, I am struck by it. But let me just read it to you. This is what he says in 1 Corinthians, or 2 Corinthians chapter 11, kind of giving a catalog of the storms in his life. He says, I have been in prison uh, more frequently, been flogged more severely, and been exposed to death again and again. Five times I have received from the Jews 40 lashes minus one. Now, just in case you're new to the Bible, you understand that this is in, like the result of criminal behavior. <laughs> this is because he's going from city to city and he's preaching the gospel. And people are getting angry at him for preaching the gospel for various reasons. Uh, so beginning, and then uh, pick up there. So three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was pelted with stones. Three times I was shipwrecked. I spent a night and day in open sea. I've been constantly on the move. I have been in danger from rivers, in danger from bandits, in danger from fellow Jews, in danger from Gentiles, in danger in the city, in danger in the country, in danger at sea, and in danger from false believers. I have labored and toiled and often gone without sleep. I have known hunger and thirst and have often gone without food. I have been cold and naked. Besides everything else, I face daily the pressures of my concern for all the churches, who is weak that I do not feel weak, who is led into sin that I do not inwardly burn. Now, he wrote this before the events of Acts chapter 27. That means this is his fourth shipwreck. This is his fourth shipwreck. Uh, it was dangerous in that time uh, to sail. Uh, we don't know the kind of boats that he was sailing in most of the time. Uh, but we do know that the Apostle Paul traveled extensively, was constantly on the move, rarely staying. I mean, a couple of times he stayed places, maybe a couple, two and a half years one time, a year another time. Most of the time he was moving on to preach the gospel in more, in more places. Now, given that he had already shipwrecked three times, I think Luke was insane to get on a boat with Paul. But uh, for some reason, he felt it was worth doing. And certainly, Paul was qualified. Maybe he should have told the centurion, actually, I have a little bit of experience with shipwrecks. <laughs> I don't think we should go. This is a bad time of the year to go. And maybe I'm bad luck <laughs> because it's not going to be good. And so uh, Paul, interestingly, in that list, talks about shipwrecks. And he talks about storms. And then he talks about leadership um, storms. He talks about storms, relational storms in the church. So if, if you look at this in verse 25, he says, three times I was shipwrecked. I spent a night and a day in open sea, which sounds like he was adrift in, on, you know, holding on to something. And then you pick up in verse 28, and he says, beside everything else, I face daily the presence of my concern for all the churches. That's a different kind of storm, different kind of difficulty. But he puts it in there with getting beaten. The the pressure that he feels. He says, who is weak? He's talking about his churches, that I don't feel weak. Who is led into sin that I don't feel that, that I don't experience that inside myself? So Paul is listing these things, and it's interesting. He doesn't, he doesn't look and say, I must be a bad person. He doesn't list all these things and say, I must not be doing the will of God. Actually, the reason he's listing this is because people are questioning his credentials as an apostle. There are false teachers in Corinth. They're questioning his credentials as an apostle. These are his credentials, he says. This is his evidence that he is doing 
what God wants him to do. They are his boast and they are his credentials. Uh, how different is that from the way that we usually think when bad things come into our lives or when we see someone else maybe in trouble? How we think about them. Well, you know, maybe they had it coming. Maybe, you know, if they didn't do this or that, the way we sometimes think. So the first truth is uh, a storm is the norm. We're going to talk about this more next week. We're going to delve a little bit deeper into that idea. We shouldn't be surprised by the storms in our lives. And, and I put it in a way that's memorable so that hopefully it's something you can say to yourself in the midst of a storm. Maybe you're in one right now. Maybe you'll be in one before long. And you can tell yourself, no, this is the norm. The storm that I'm in is, is the norm. Secondly, storms are the graduate school of leadership. They really are. The more storms that I've weathered uh, over the years, the more prepared I am when the next storm comes. Storms can prepare us for the inevitable future storms of leadership and the inevitable future storms that we're going to experience in life. But I say they can prepare you because they don't always prepare you. A lot of it has to do with how we respond to it. Are we going to lean into God in the storm? Are we going to lean into learning in the midst of that storm. There are lessons, really, that we can only learn in storms. When I was younger, I thought I could learn everything from watching other people's mistakes, by listening to wise counselors, by reading books. I, I really thought that. And it took me, I mean, it's embarrassing to say, but it took me into my 40s where I was in a storm and I said, oh, there are things I'm learning right now that I would not have learned without what I'm going through right now. I simply was not learning these things, and I don't know of any other way that I could have learned them. Sometimes the storms break us. Uh, and even in breaking, it's an opportunity for rebuilding. It's an opportunity for even deeper learning. There have been storms that I've not been prepared for, and they have, in a sense, broken me, broken me uh, emotionally, broken me spiritually. Um, but I needed to be broken. That's what I, I look back, and I'm like, I needed to be broken by, by that. Now, not everyone leans into Christ. Not everyone leans into learning in the midst of a storm. If you're tempted to turn away from Christ because of a storm that you're going through, I just have a, a little bit of a word for you, um, and um, it, it's this. Look, turning from Christ because something bad is happening in your life or has happened in your life isn't going to make what happened right. It's not going to fix it but it is gonna steal from you the only real hope that we have when we've lost everything and when we're facing death. It will steal that from you. I have a story that I'm gonna tell you next week of a conversation I just had with someone uh, along those very lines. Turn away from God in a difficult time, find themselves in the next difficult time with no hope and looking forward and going, I have, I have no hope. Lean into Christ in the storm. Um, cling to Christ in the storm. All right, so the first truth is storms, they're the norm. Um, storms are the graduate school of leadership if we'll lean in, if we'll learn from them. Uh, third, God is sovereignly in control in the storms. Sovereign, he's king. He's king of the universe, came preaching the kingdom. Jesus came preaching the kingdom of God, and he's the king. And he is the creator of everything. He is all-powerful. Don't ever 
uh, don't ever pull back. I mean, don't, don't, don't ever limit God's power. God's power, he is all powerful. And so God, the all powerful God comes to Paul in a dream through an angel and says, I'm gonna give you a special mercy. I'm going to save everybody uh, on the ship. He has the power to do that. And he says, um, not, you know, not a hair on your head, which is an exaggeration, but it's, it's a way of speaking. Not a hair on the head of anybody is gonna be damaged in any way whatsoever. And so that's a huge confidence builder for Paul. You can imagine in the midst of the storm where everybody thinks they're gonna die, he has gotten a word that says, you're not gonna die. Now, I want you to stop for a moment because you might be thinking, I've never gotten that kind of assurance. I'm not getting one now in the midst of my storm. I didn't get one in the last storm. So I want you to think about a storm that you're going through right now in your life or one that you recently went through. Just, just grab one for a second. All right, you got one? So I want you to think. Let's say in the middle of that storm that you went through recently or you're going through right now, God were to come to you and say, no one's gonna die. How much would that have encouraged you? For some of you, you might, you might, your storm may be that someone that you love is facing death. That might be the storm that you're holding on to, that, that you went to. Uh, it might be yourself. But the, probably for the majority of you, hearing that no one is gonna die maybe would have scared you more than anything because you would have gone, I didn't know that was a possibility in my storm. <laughs> Okay, I'm, I'm doing a little thought experiment with you here, okay? Paul gets a word that few of us get. And by the way, Paul didn't always get this kind of word from God, saying you're going to make it through. There, in fact, next week we're looking at a letter he wrote from prison. And he says, I'm confident I'm going to get out, but I am not certain. <laughs> I may die, and if I die, it's Okay. And so that's, that's where he is there. No angel comes to him in prison. But he gets an angel this time. But understand this. Once they shipwreck, his storm is still raging. He's still a prisoner. His future is uncertain. He still is not able to do what he has been called to do, what he obviously loves doing, which is to go all around the world and go into cities and preach the gospel and establish churches uh, and then move on to the next city. His storm is still raging. And yet the Apostle Paul is confident in God in the midst of it. And here's what I'm getting at. The Apostle Paul, even with no angelic visitation, no angel coming and saying, yeah, this is, this is okay, it's all gonna work out. The Apostle Paul still has what he believes and what he wrote that fortunately we have in the book of Romans, he still has Romans 8.28. So we looked at Romans 8.28 a few weeks ago and uh, I'm gonna show it to you in the ESV, the English Standard Version, because it captures part of the nuance that is there and the NIV kind of misses it. So it says, and we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. Now let me tell you what this is not saying. It's not saying your storm that you're in right now, it's all, it's all gonna be fixed. This thing that you're going through, it's all gonna be okay. You know, the cancer, 
the trouble your children are having at school, um, the, the, the things your parents are going through, it's all going to be, it's all going to smooth out and be okay. It's not saying that. Here's what it is saying. It has a long view. It says, all things together, all things together are going to work out for good because God is a sovereign God. And so um, what it's basically saying, when the sum of all things is done, all things, good things, bad things, they're all going to work together for good. That's a trust. We just have to put our trust in God for that. And as we continue on with the sermon in just a few moments, we'll see why, that's, why we can believe God for that, why we can believe him for that. Now, even though God is sovereignly in control so that he can say, some of all things, it's going to work together for good. He can come into a situation that Paul is in and say, I'm going to save everybody on this ship as a special mercy to you. Even though God is sovereignly in control, what we do matters. It's not like, well, God's going to do what he's going to do. No, what we do matters. And it's, you probably saw it when we were reading this, because it kind of stands out in a really interesting way. Uh, but sometimes our minds wander, you know, as we're reading. So I want to point out to you this really interesting feature of this passage. So back in verse uh, 24, Paul tells them about the angelic vision. He says, no one will die. No one will die. This is the, the sovereign God has said, no one will die. But then later in verse 30, some sailors are attempting to leave the ship. They're trying to escape. And it says, they let the sailboat down into the sea, pretending they were going to lower some anchors uh, from the bow. Then Paul said to the centurion and the soldiers, unless these men stay with the ship, you cannot be saved. You will die. God has sovereignly said you will not die. But what these guys does, do, it matters. <laughs> if they do it, we're not going to be saved. You're not going to be saved. That's what he, what he tells them. Um, so, even though God is sovereignly in control, passage like this, and there's, I mean, you can, they're not always so close together. <laughs> you know, they're, they're usually further apart. Passages of God's sovereignty, his sovereign control, and other passages about what we do matters. This is a, where they're really close together. And you wonder, um, what, how does this fit together? How can God promise this and at the same time, no, it, it can't, it might not be. We don't know. We really don't know. It doesn't settle that for us. So the Bible doesn't really tell us how it fits together, but it tells us God is in control and what you do matters. So we need to do what God has called us to do under the sovereign control of God. And so what's Paul doing? He's doing all kinds of stuff. He's got a reassurance. It's all going to work out. So does he go like under the deck and just go take a nap? Nope. Cooperates with what God has told him. He warns them. He leads out, even though he's a prisoner, he ministers to them. You need to eat. This isn't good. This isn't good. He proclaims the gospel. What did he do? He broke bread in front of them and prayed. He talked about my God, the God to whom I belong and whom I serve. He's, he's telling them about God throughout this whole thing. 
He doesn't waste an opportunity, and we should not waste opportunities to serve God as we go through storms because what we do matters. So if we're gonna lead through a storm, storm is a norm, don't beat yourself up because you're a storm, even if it's of your own making. Confess it, repent, move on with God. Uh, it's a graduate school of leadership, if we'll lean in, if we're willing to learn, remember God is sovereignly in control, a good God is sovereignly in control, what we do matters. The last thing is God goes through storms with us and he went through a storm for us. When, when you're going through a storm with some people, or when you're helping lead through a storm, some people who are going through a storm, let me just give a, a little piece of advice. It is not your job to explain the philosophy of suffering in the midst of a storm. Even if the person asks for it, it sounds like they're asking for it. Why would God? Why would God? Why would God allow this? Sounds like they're asking for it, doesn't it? They're not asking for it. It's a rhetorical question. You know what a rhetorical question is? You're not looking for an answer. You're, you're making a statement. It's a statement. It's really saying, God, you are, allow this? There's no question mark. <laughs> All right? It's not your job to give a philosophy of suffering when somebody is going through a storm, especially a really, really difficult storm. Um, it's probably not even good. There comes a time, relationally, I mean, these things, there's an art to this, and relationally, there's a time when you can actually go here with someone after you've listened for a long time, you've just kept your mouth shut, you've just offered love and support, that you may be able to go to Romans 8.28. But it's not that encouraging, really. <laughs> really, you're in the middle of a storm. Why, why would it be encouraging that bad things that might happen to me will work out for good when the bad thing is just something that is just overwhelmingly bad in my life. I mean, with a long-term view, we're, we're, when we're going through a storm, we're, we're focused on what, especially if it's a really serious storm, we're focused on what's right in front of us, really difficult to think about the long-term future. That takes, when, when things have subsided, when we're grieving, when we've gone through the storm without having a hair on our head, you know, whatever it is, those are times when we, you know, and there might be some times in the midst when it's a long-term to, to, to bring in, definitely when it's a long-term to bring in Romans 8.28 and to talk about that in the minister. Um, it's not our job to try to answer the questions of someone who's going through a storm. Our calling is to reassure people by our own presence, our own love, and sometimes in our words, to reassure them that God is walking through the storm with them. That's what we do. If you can just remember that when you're going through a storm with somebody, my whole job is to be here to love and to time to time assure them that God is going through the storm with them, that he is present. If you remember that, you will do well in leading through a storm. Now the whole idea that God goes through a storm with us, do you realize what a unique idea that is. We forget, if you've grown up in the church, all your life, you've known that Jesus came and he was born into poverty and he grew up in poverty and he was crucified and he did that all for us for our sins. You know what? After a while, you just begin to take that for granted. It's easy to happen. 
because we're broken, <laughs> fallen human beings. It's easy to just take that for granted. But every once in a while, just stop and think for a moment. We follow God, and God has suffered with us, and he has suffered for us, and there is not another religion in the world or in world history that has a suffering God, suffering out of love for his people, ever. I think it's safe to say that nobody makes something like that up because unless Christianity is not true, only one time in history did someone make that up. It's not a human thing to like, well yeah, you look at all the religions of the world and they all kind of say the same thing. None of them, you don't make up. The idea of a God that loves us so much that he would be willing to die on a cross for us and that he would be willing to suffer with us, and he does. Scripture reassures of, of that over and over again. In the midst of a storm, it may not be the greatest reassurance, you know, because we want to hear everything's going to be okay. But in the long run, knowing God is there. I'm going to talk about that next week too, because knowing God is there, even in the midst of the deepest grief, can also bring joy. Right in the middle, I mean, parallel lines of joy and absolute grief at the same time. Well, we celebrate this every single week. We remember the story that we're in every single week. As part of our response time, we, we celebrate communion, remembering that Jesus was broken for us. His body was broken for us, and his blood was shed, spilled for us. And that's part of our response to God. And I hope that it is a special time of response for you today. Let's pray.